Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now, here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We are now actually nearing the end of our second season, but still more excited than ever to continue to help you explore and understand the unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. Here we look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here are issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung and heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we interview experts for today's show on air quality and transportation, which we'll be talking about all month. And today's topic is trouble in the air, who, what, when, where, and why. One of our eras greatest disasters is air pollution on account not only of its impact on climate change, but also its impact on public and individual health due to increasing disease and death that is caused by it. There are many pollutants that are major factors in disease in human beings. Among them, particulate matter, which are the particles of variable sizes, but they're all very, very small, small enough, in fact, that they actually penetrate our respiratory systems. Then there's ozone, which we hear about every day, just today. I think here in North Texas, we had an ozone alert day. And ozone, despite the fact that ozone in the stratosphere plays a protective role against the ultraviolet rays, it is still quite harmful when in high concentration at ground level. And it also affects our respiratory system as well as our cardiovascular system. Then there are many, many others, which we'll talk about more in detail, such as heavy metals like lead. And then last but not least, there's climate change that results from the environmental pollution and affects the geographical distribution of many infectious diseases as do natural disasters. According to the Environmental Defense Fund, where today's guest is from, around 9 out of 10 people breathe unhealthy air. Air pollution is now the biggest environmental risk for early death, responsible for more than 6 million premature deaths each year from heart attacks, strokes, diabetes, and respiratory diseases. Along with harming human health, air pollution can cause a variety of environmental effects. Air pollution can cause damage to crops and trees in a number of ways, and ground-level ozone from air pollution can lead to reductions in agricultural crop and commercial forest yields. It leads to reduced growth and survivability of tree seedlings and increased plant susceptibility to disease, pest, and other environmental stresses, thus affecting our food system as well as the harsh weather conditions that also affect our ag system. Now, this is a lot. And here today to help us unpack some of this is Dr. Elena Kraft with the Environmental Defense Fund. The Environmental Defense Fund is one of the world's leading environmental organizations helping to drive results since 1967. 
they started out, they like to say, as a group of scrappy scientists, and they were coalescing around the dangers of the pesticide DDT. And then that group of scrappy scientists hooked up with some lawyers, and then the rest, they say, is history. With several regional offices around the United States and a few international offices as well, the Environmental Defense Fund is known for its work on issues including global warming, ecosystem restoration, oceans, and human health, and they advocate constantly using sound science, economics, and law to find environmental solutions that work. Elena is located in the Environmental Defense Fund's Austin office, and her expertise is on climate change, air quality, and air toxic issues, focusing specifically on reducing criteria and greenhouse gas emissions from the energy and transportation sectors. She has worked to reduce emissions, especially around port areas and environmental justice communities. Elena has also worked to reduce toxics used in shale gas drilling practices, such as hydraulic fracturing, which we here in North Texas and other areas of Texas are way too familiar with. Elena has been a strategist in designing and initiating comprehensive clean air measures, as well as in developing standards to measure environmental performance. Her efforts have led to the creation of clean truck programs in Houston and other ports around the Southeast. And she has been appointed to serve a two-year term on the Environmental Protection Agency's SAB Environmental Justice Technical Review Panel, and she has authored and co-authored a number of publications around environmental issues. Elena's PhD is in toxicology from Duke University's from Nicholas School of Environment and Earth and Ocean Sciences. Welcome, Elena, and did I get all of that right? <laughs> Yes, I think I um, qualify as one of the scrappy scientists at EDF, so the tradition uh, at our organization continues. <laughs> I love it. That's why you all are so effective, because I know as we do research and prepare for the show, or as I go check different things, you guys are always one of my go-to places. For that reason, the scrappiness has a certain resilience that really can drive results. So thank you, and we're so glad that you could join us today. We want to start out the first part of the show talking about how air quality affects environment and how environment affects air quality. And so with that, Elena, can you tell us more about what we mean when we talk about or use the term air quality and what are the factors that determine air quality and how is it measured? So EPA uses the AQI to give an assessment of the quality of, of air that we're breathing. And you can think of the air quality index of kind of a yardstick that goes from zero to 500. And so anything less than 50 on that yardstick is considered good air quality. Uh, anything above 300 is considered uh, very dangerous. And so there is a series of levels um, associated with that air quality index that go from good to moderate uh, to unhealthy, and then um, ultimately to hazardous. We don't generally see uh, the hazardous level reached in this country, um, but oftentimes we can see the, the level red, which is considered unhealthy, or even purple, which is considered very unhealthy, and especially for sensitive groups, very unhealthy. 
A couple of things related to that, Elena. What are the factors? What do they use to determine what the air quality is? Do they just kind of lift the finger and stick it in the air or, or what? Well, the agency has a series, a network of monitors around the country, and they use those monitors to get uh, concentrations, ambient concentrations of different types of pollution at ground level. And so uh, the air quality index is actually based on a series of what they call NACs, which stands for National Ambient Air Quality Standard. Uh, the country EPA has established NACs for six different uh, pollutants, types of, of air pollutants, um, particulate matter, ozone, lead, nitrogen dioxide, uh, carbon monoxide, and ozone. And the standards are set, um, really what the agency does is they generate what they call an integrated science assessment of all of the literature on that particular pollutant. They have a science advisory committee that reviews that literature and essentially makes a recommendation to the EPA administrator on uh, what the, the threshold uh, health value should be set for um, to protect um, people across the, the country from air pollution. So that's how, how it's happened. Different areas, I guess, within the United States and around the world, I suppose they already know they have a problem or suspect they have a problem in maybe one of those high two, ozone or particulate. So that's what they keep up with. Like, again, we know ozone is an issue starting in about May, certainly June through September here in North Texas. Correct. And depending on where you are in the country, you're probably dealing with either PM, particulate matter, or ozone, or maybe both. We, we often see both in the larger metropolitan areas. California has uh, a large air quality problem in part because of all the activity generated uh, within the state, but also from pollution that comes in uh, that is transported in from places like China. Okay, so California keeps up with ozone and particulate matter? Yes. Uh, oh, my. They, they are considered out of attainment uh, for our national health-based air quality standards. Um, you know, Dallas is out of attainment. Uh, 15 years. Yes. Houston, <laughs> our big cities in Texas, across Texas, uh, mostly are, are out of attainment. We're going to go to break now, but we'll be right back on the other side to continue this very interesting and educational conversation. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural groceries, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at NHG.com. Our other sponsors, Marshall Grain Garden Center, Nature's Merchant since 1946, providing organic gardening expertise and supplies and plants for our Texas climate, as well as landscaping, design, and installation as well as supplies for pets, including a choice of raw diets and wet meals. Check them out along with their weekly events and promos at marshallgrain.com. Our other sponsors, Profound Foods, 
They are the marketplace for real local food in North Texas. They deliver local organic food to your door each week within 33 North Texas zip codes. The deliveries include fresh produce as well as chef-curated goods from Profound's Commercial Kitchen. With over 50 local farmer producers, Profound's is building a more connected, resilient food system in North Texas. Check them out at ProfoundFoods.com. And are the sponsors Farm and Ranch Freedom Alliance, FARFA. If you grow your own food, whether for yourself or for sale, you won't want to miss the Southern Family Farmers and Food Systems Conference, sponsored by FARFA, which is coming up August 8th through 10th in St. Marcus, Texas. Check them out at farmandranchfreedom.org. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, to today's show on Trouble in the Air, who, what, when, where, and how, talking about air quality. And we are back with Dr. Elena Kraft with the Environmental Defense Fund in Austin. Again, thank you so much for being with us today. And right before the break, we were talking about these some of these various components air pollution that are part of the AQI or the air quality index. And, you know, we here in North Texas know about ozone, but many other places, basically you're saying the large cities generally suffer from ozone alerts, a lot of ozone activity, as well as particulate matter. I'm interested because you were mentioning port cities as having a lot of particulate matter. I want to get an understanding or help our listeners understand when they know or how they know they may be coming in contact with particulate matter, is it mostly smog or what? There are a couple of different ways that um, residents might learn about poor air quality um, in their communities. Uh, one is uh, just through the media. So uh, we've done a lot of advocacy work reaching out to meteorologists so that as uh, people are getting ready day, if it's expected to be an ozone action day or a high particulate matter day, that they'll have the information that they need in terms of making decisions about their own personal health. So, for example, perhaps that means that they limit their outdoor activities that afternoon or something they were planning to do, they might reschedule it uh, based on, on the air quality uh, at, that, at that time. Um, so, that's one thing. Um, we uh, also uh, know that uh, communities across the state, and there are, is a, a network in, in Dallas as well as uh, Houston, uh, but communities themselves have been installing their own air monitors uh, in their neighborhoods because they are concerned about the air quality and the quality of air that they are breathing. And uh, because of the fact that even though EPA tries to do as much monitoring across the country as they can, they can't always, uh, you know, they're not covering uh, individual neighborhoods per se. They're getting more of a, um, you know, high level picture perhaps of air quality in the region. And then um, we also see people who have uh, been purchasing, you know, uh, handheld um, air quality monitors. So I know uh, the listeners can't see this one, uh, but there is a big market for uh, instruments that are measuring indoor air quality. So you can actually, you know, purchase uh, an instrument for your personal use and you can keep it either inside or outside and 
and you can keep track of the, the quality of air um, that way. So there, there are a number of, of ways in which people get information about air quality. Indeed. And some of us who have allergies or asthma or what have you can tell <laughs> due to our breathing or our, our eyes watering or things like that. And so thank God for the ozone alert action days. The other part is when I am traveling and if I see smog, I'm on alert because I know I have allergies and it's like that smog is not going to be good for me. You know, just those telltale signs that people can tell. And I imagine folks, as you said, with some chronic health issues can tell. They've learned to connect the dots. That's right. We have a lot of uh, people across the country who are very sensitive to the health impacts from air, from poor air quality. And, um, you know, that ends up when you, when you add up all of the factors that make someone vulnerable. So if you are uh, young, um, kids breathe in more uh, air per pound of body weight than adults. If you're older, uh, if you have respiratory disease, if you have cardiovascular disease, uh, if you are overweight or have diabetes, you know, once you put in all of the, the risk factors that make someone more susceptible uh, to the harms of, of air pollution, um, then you really uh, can see that we're talking about ultimately the majority of, of people in the country. Now, Elena, I want to talk a little bit about indoor air quality and outdoor air quality. And how does the outdoor and indoor environment affect air quality? And which is more pervasive, harmful, helpful, if any? That's really a tricky question. Uh, oftentimes, the quality of the air that you're breathing indoors is uh, based on the quality of air that's outside. And I think that obvious reasons. Um, we see, um, you know, as you're circulating air in your home, for example, you're bringing that air in from, from outside. And so many of the, um, the, the pollutants that, that are outside um, can, can get into your home that way. If you have uh, special filters in your home, uh, lots of uh, schools, for example, in the, the West are having to use special filters. Uh, to uh, filter out the particulate matter uh, that's coming into the, the schools uh, because of the wildfires. And so there are some things that you can do to improve the air quality um, that may be coming in from outside that may be um, influencing your, your indoor air quality. Uh, but the converse is also true. You could be doing things in your home to that would be contributing to an air quality issue that might be impacting uh, the quality of air inside your home that you might not realize. Um, things like uh, using a lot of air fresheners, for example. Many of those air fresheners have what we call volatile organic compounds as part of the, the compounds that they're using to freshen the air. And so, um, you know, depending on how many of those you have across your home or how much you're using those kinds of uh, devices uh, can impact the quality. Uh, we're, there is some work looking at uh, gas stoves, for example. So if you are using uh, gas to, uh, to cook food, then there may be some exposures uh, in your kitchen for the time that you're using that gas. Uh, even fireplaces, if you're burning logs, those uh, logs are essentially generating particulate matter. That's you know, fire fire generates those small particles um, that you know are mostly going up the chimney, but 
sometimes are obviously coming in into the home as well. So it's all a factor of sort of, um, you know, what it is that you are doing inside your home as well as um, factors that are going on outside your home. And, uh, sometimes we have control over those things and then sometimes uh, we don't. And I think as someone had mentioned to me, I think it was in the last season show, anything that combusts, you know, I think everybody gets it that the stuff that comes out of the back of a car, which is combustion, everybody gets it that that's bad for you. But somehow the light bulb hasn't gone on yet that those things that combust in your house, <laughs> i.e. the yes. gas stove, the fireplace. Yes. I can't leave out cigarettes. Um, if oh, you are yeah. a smoker <laughs> in your home, you are contributing to poor air quality in your home and uh, may, you know, and are very well uh, very much impacting the quality of, of health for the others who live in that home. Would there be, and I have no idea, would there be any indoor air quality issues or things that can move it out and affect the surrounding outdoor air quality? Is there anything that potent? <laughs> Well, I would say um, a lot of times where we see, you know, something that might be happening um, indoors would be at facilities or big warehouses that store maybe combustible products, for example. And if there is something to happen at those kinds of storage facilities, uh, for example, in West Texas, uh, you know, several years ago where they had agricultural uh, pesticides that were being stored um, at the facility, and you know there was a large explosion, and obviously that had a huge impact on the air in that local community. So yes, we we can see um, it going both ways. I want to touch up on what are the effects of air quality on other aspects of the environment. You know, when the air is polluted and bad air quality, what other aspects of our environment? Is that affecting? And then briefly talk about the intersection with climate change. If we don't have time to talk about climate change, we'll talk about it on the other side. Sure. Those are loaded questions for <laughs> sure. I would say that, um, I mean, the quality of air impacts, you know, everything that we do and, and the entire ecosystem. So oftentimes um, there have been lots of studies looking at uh, what high concentrations of ozone does to crops for example, and it, you know, limits their growth and they end up, you know, getting, uh, not being as productive or producing as much food as they would um, have under better uh, air quality conditions. So uh, trees uh, can be impacted by poor air quality if, you know, they're not able to, to grow as well. Um, animals, I mean, you know, exposure to, um, uh, or different that are released in the air can actually um, be transferred to different bodies of water. So, for example, lead coming from a coal-fired power plant or mercury coming from a coal-fired power plant uh, can be uh, released as, uh, you know, air pollution, uh, but then it ends up in fish uh, in the lakes and streams and rivers and, you know, uh, in the area because it eventually settles and 
uh, and gets into those those water bodies. And then we eat some. That's we're gonna, right. <laughs> we're going to go to break right now, but we will continue this conversation just a little bit on the other side before we move into air quality and health. Thank you. We've been with Dr. Elena Kraft from the Environmental Defense Fund in Austin. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, to this month's first show on air quality and transportation. And today we're talking about air quality, trouble in the air, who, what, when, where, and why. And we are with Dr. Elena Kraft from the Environmental Defense Fund in Austin. The EDF is one of the world's leading environmental organizations founded by a group of scrappy scientists who hooked up with a group of scrappy lawyers and the rest is history. And we do appreciate all that they do. So again, thank you so much for being with us today, Elena. Thank you for having me. Before the break, we were talking about the effects of air quality on other aspects of the environment. And you were just kind of leading us through the series of dots with lead. But before we move on to talk more about air quality impact on our health, would you connect the dots for our listeners on the intersections of air quality and climate change? Yes. So there are a number of ways in which climate is impacting air quality. As the climate warms and as we see warmer days in places that um, traditionally would not have had as, uh, the temperatures uh, to be as high, um, we actually are expecting and have seen higher concentrations of ozone. Um, ozone is formed uh, because of the, the presence of volatile organic compounds as well as uh, nitrogen oxide in the presence of heat and sunlight. So um, in places that um, have higher temperatures or um, higher temperatures than they normally would have had, uh, you can see increases in uh, the number of ozone days. Uh, we also have, um, as the climate warms, obviously more wildfires, more flooding, uh, and we've seen um, the impact that those wildfires have had on particulate matter concentrations. There is a lot of information about um, being able to track those big plumes that you had mentioned, so you can actually see those plumes of, of particulate matter of smoke uh, and smog coming. I.E. California. <laughs> I.E. California, yes. And many other you know, places, yeah. uh, even in Oregon and, and Washington, um, Montana. And it may be surprising, but um, the, the wildfires in those areas can actually travel to places like Texas. So we are impacted right. state as a result of that. Now, that's kind of bridged the gap with air quality and environment on over to health. Is there, or do you think there's any connection with air quality and COVID and the current COVID pandemic? Well, yes. Um, and the reason that, that we know that and, and believe that and have evidence for that um, is that lots of studies that have shown that people who are um, living in areas with uh, poorer air quality are actually um, experience uh, more health impacts, more negative health impacts from uh, COVID infections. And so, uh, you know, that could be for any number of reasons, uh, but 
the, the evidence so far is very suggestive that, um, yes, the, the more vulnerable, um, the, the uh, residents who live in areas with poor air quality um, are seeing those, um, those more uh, dramatic uh, infections uh, with COVID. And are there other conditions or issues like COVID that may have some type of root, we believe, in air quality and its effect on climate change. I remember one of our first shows we ever did, the first month of shows we ever did almost two years ago, we had a couple of scientists from University of Queensland. And you know, they've got it all. <laughs> they've got the floods, they've got the fires and whatever. And they kind of mesmerized me anyway in talking about, and this was before COVID, they said basically we were gonna see things like COVID. <laughs> Because of a lot of the extreme weather that's tipped off or caused by air quality. Have you all done any work? Or have you seen any information about that that you might be able to share with us? Well, I think we have the information about, um, you know, higher cancer rates in areas with um, uh, bad air quality. We know there's a connection there. Um, I mean, PM. Uh, causes uh, cancer at high enough concentrations. And so um, my general uh, 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 thought is that the, um, the worse the air quality um, and, and the more susceptible or the more vulnerable the person, um, you know, you see, that's when you see those um, really um, terrible health outcomes. And uh, we've actually done work showing that um, just, for example, uh, pollution from traffic is um, impacts different communities in different ways. And so um, I don't think surprisingly, uh, but communities of color are disproportionately burdened by the harms of air pollution. And so you, you know, when you factor in the socio-demographic uh, variables and the underlying risk factors, um, and then where is this pollution occurring? Um, you know, it's not, does not take a, a genius to figure out that all of those things are contributing to uh, someone's overall um, health and, and their health issues. And in a similar conversation as this, as one of our experts was talking about the burden of these vulnerable communities with regards to the health impacts of air pollution, you know, being where these communities are often built near industrial facilities that spew forth the toxins. But an interesting factor that I think is important for me, you, and all of us who may not live in those vulnerable communities, and that is, I don't remember the distance, but they quoted the distance like, oh, it's not limited just there. Depending on what it is, it can travel. And, and actually, we've seen that in Houston, where we see some of the highest particulate matter concentrations, for example, in West Houston, which is not where that the most the bulk of that pollution is actually generated. And so, um, air pollution travels, and it can travel thousands of miles. Uh, we, um, I'm sure you've seen uh, when the state is impacted by sub-Saharan dust coming from, you know, Africa. I mean, really a dramatic example of how um, air, uh, air pollution can, can travel, and it knows no bounds. I mean, that's, that's clear. It really
really does. And I can feel the sub-Saharan dust. And I really think that <laughs> a much, much bigger deal needs to be made of the sub-Saharan dust in terms of global impact, because it shows so clearly, so vividly, the global impact of environmental issues. Right. Well, I think it goes to show you how interconnected, you know, we are um, as, uh, you know, residents on this planet. Uh, and, um, you know, I think uh, it's dramatic when you, you can actually see that dust traveling, uh, you know, on uh, satellite, you know, with, with satellite imagery. So, um, it, yes, it's, it's definitely something that I think we need to uh, consider, um, you know, globally because it's a global problem. I've heard that COVID also is a zoonotic disease, scientifically proven or not, but I've heard a number of people said zoonotic, something that's passed on from animal to human. Is there an air quality connection there? With regard to climate change, we know that vector-borne diseases, um, zoonotic diseases, uh, are actually going to be increasing. And we actually have seen that um, in in Texas as well as in other places. I think not enough is being done to understand the connections and the, the total impact of what the implications are of that. But very serious diseases, I think um, we've all, you know, lived through the, the Zika scare. Mm -hmm. West Nile, you know, cases and cases that, you know, we haven't seen, uh, malaria, uh, lots of, of things that um, we thought were going to be, uh, you know, not as prevalent are now showing up. In the with, with many more to come, I've been told. We're going to go to break right quick, and we'll be right back on the other side with Dr. Elena Kraft with the Environmental Defense Fund. Thank you. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods grocers, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at NHG.com. Our other sponsor is Marshall Grain Garden Center, nature's merchant since 1946, providing organic gardening expertise, supplies, and plants specifically for our Texas climate. Check them out and their weekly events and promos at marshallgrain.com. Our other sponsor is Profound Foods, and it is the marketplace for real local food in North Texas. They deliver local organic food to your door each week in 33 North Texas zip codes. With over 50 local farmer producers, Profound Foods is building a more connected, resilient food system in North Texas. Check them out at profoundfoods.com. And our other sponsor is Farm and Ranch Freedom Alliance, ARFA. If you grow your own food, whether for yourself or for sale, you will not want to miss the Southern Family Farmers Food Systems Conference coming up August 8th to 10th in St. Marcus, Texas. Check them out at farmandranchfreedom.org. Thank you, sponsors. 
Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. This is the last segment of today's show on Trouble in the Air. Who, what, when, where, and how. And this is all about air quality, air pollution. And our wonderful expert today is Elena Kraft with the Environmental Defense Fund, all the way from Austin, Texas. So, again, we really do appreciate that we are able to take advantage of her expertise today. Again, we want to just really focus in on a lot of the health issues in this last segment of our show. So, Elena, can you give us any statistics? And I know that the EDF has some statistics on the economic, human mortality, and human health costs and effects of air pollution. As you mentioned, I think at the the outset of the show, we know that around the world, uh, nine out of 10 people are breathing unhealthy air. Um, The Center for Research on Energy and Clean Air has estimated that air pollution has an almost $3 trillion economic cost globally. So um, that essentially equates to 3.3% of the world's uh, gross domestic product. So it's a serious uh, issue. It's the most serious issue. in terms of, uh, you know, in, in terms of deaths of, of environmental uh, concerns, um, you know, as, as we, that we know of. So, Elena, what would you say perhaps is the most common and perhaps the most often overlooked incidence of air pollution or other air quality issues that most ordinary folks come in contact with in their daily lives and may not even be aware of it? Probably... Pollution from traffic is something that we all maybe take for granted. Uh, I mean, everyone understands that when a big vehicle drives by, you know, oh, that's going to, you know, you don't want to breathe the the black soot that's coming out of that tailpipe. Um, But even, uh, you know, just traffic generally uh, contributes a lot to the quality of the airshed in the region. And so, Understanding more about the implications of the pollution from that traffic, I think, is important uh, for the the general person to understand. Um, and then you know, to know of the alternatives um, with regard to, say, electric vehicles, uh, for example, or uh, why it's important uh, that mass transit options are offered. You know, anything that can help reduce um, the number of vehicles on the road, the congestion that is on the road, uh, all of those uh, vehicles and engines are combustion sources. So um, anything that we can do to uh, limit our exposure to the pollution created uh, by those engines is uh, something that we could do, um, you know, as a, uh, as a society to help improve air quality. You're on a roll. Keep going. What are some other things that people can do to protect themselves from air pollution? Well, lots of things. Uh, I think um, there was actually an interesting article, I think it was in Washington uh, Post, about uh, a uh, a city that had desi- decided to ban um, uh, two-cycle engines uh, for yard work. So, you know, the leaf blowers and so forth that were powered by, uh, by gasoline, for example, um, they required that anyone that's doing that kind of work uh, had to use an electric engine. And um, not only, I think they, they weren't necessarily doing it um, for environmental reasons uh, that, that we're thinking about in terms of air pollution. They were doing it more um, to abate noise. Uh, so it was a noise abatement uh, measure. 
what they, they found was that um, that it actually led to a, a measurable change in the quality of air for that community. So um, that was something that probably was not sort of expected or anticipated. So, um, you know, daily decisions like that, I think um, obviously electric vehicles are becoming more common. I think we're going to see that more and more, especially as Environmental Protection Agency um, uh, uh, strengthens the standards on engines generally. Um, we'll see a move to more electric vehicle purchases, and I think we'll see um, the result of that in, in cleaner air that we're breathing. Indeed. You know, we had a few benefits early on in COVID. Are they all gone now? <laughs> We definitely saw, you know, dips in air pollution because of the reduction in traffic. Uh, that was clear um, in, in some of the, the monitors that we were uh, looking at across the nation. Um, I would say that uh, I know at least in Austin, it seems like traffic is back up to uh, the normal bumper-to-bumper uh, -bumper, uh, congestion that we are come to expect. Um but yeah, I think um, you know. I but I think maybe some of the lessons learned from COVID and, and understanding um, how nice it is, and, you know, there's not traffic on the roads, or if we were to use um, cleaner engines to, to transport uh, ourselves, I think that would be. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that the lessons are, are moving forward with us. And another thing that I constantly hear and see is that. Greenery, trees, and all of these things are buffers for air pollution and tend to perhaps soak up some of the pollution from the air. Has the EDF done any work there? The city of Houston has uh, some work in that area, and they've actually looked at specific species of trees because not every tree is sort of, you know, equal in terms of um, how well it might um, abate some of that that pollution. Um, there, interestingly, there are some trees that um, essentially off-gas uh, volatile organic compounds. So there's some trees that actually generate uh, uh, volatile organic compounds that can then form ozone. So it, it, it's very species-dependent. So, I got you. I got yeah. you. It's important to look at that. <laughs> That seems maybe something that we can perhaps build on some solutions or once we identify what are the good trees for that. It's like, you know, make that a part of your building code that every house has to have two or three of these to help soak up some pollution. That's right. And that's why specific trees are, are selected for along roadways, for example, because those trees are better in terms of, you know, trapping some of that pollution. Another aspect that comes to mind that maybe one of those overlooked areas is lower grade elementary school kids. If you ever noticed in the mornings and the evenings, and most of the schools have a horseshoe shaped driveway, and that the cars can be all the way in that driveway and hang out down the corner around the street. That's right. And most of those cars have combustion engines. That's right. And all that's flowing into those undeveloped lungs. That's right. And one of our initiatives um, that, that we have um, supported within the organization is advocating for no idle policies around those schools. Um, because 
obviously um, we have little lungs working hard and uh, we don't want to jeopardize um, the quality of air that they're breathing while they're waiting for the bus or to be picked up or, you know, as they're being dropped off at school. Um, that is a very, I think, um, concentrated uh, exposure that we, we want to mitigate. Um, we've also done, and, and there's lots of work on this, um, showing that uh, the, the school buses, the reason for turning over the school buses um, with, with newer, uh, cleaner engines has been because the cabins of those buses can actually track air pollution as the door opens and closes so many times, um, it can actually pull uh, pollution in from that engine. And so what was in you know, what ended up happening was those cat the cabin of the buses was uh, the concentration of particulate matter, for example, was higher than the outdoor concentration. Um, so that's just an example of wh why we need to be vigilant and particularly with regard to um, our sensitive um, little people. It is. And that's just totally one of those consequences no one ever thought about. Correct. <laughs> Because kids have to get to school in some kind of way, but then look what we're creating. So we've got a lot to work on. But that brings me to our last couple of questions, because we really only have one minute to go, Elena. So I want you to have the last word. In terms of where we've come from and where we're going, the good, the bad, and the ugly as it relates to the future of this whole issue of air quality and health and environmental impacts. Last word. I think the future is bright um, for our country. I think um, with the new administration, um, we've seen a return uh, to science and uh, science-based policy, which is what we need in this country. Uh, we need to be making decisions and policies based on the, the science uh, that, that is there that's providing that guidance. Um, I also uh, am excited about the future because of the attention that is being given to those vulnerable communities. We've known forever that there are particular communities that are overburdened by all kinds of things, but especially pollution. And so more attention um, being paid to those communities and using uh, science in the service of communities. So making sure that we are using the best science in the most effective way. I think those are the things that I'm looking for uh, in, for the future in, in this country. Indeed. And again, we're thankful for you group of scrappy scientists. <laughs> uh, well, for leading the way, because you look at so many things, even like the children in the horseshoe driveways, that we may not have been aware of. So the Environmental Defense Fund is a advocate for that with science that you cannot deny. So we are grateful for it. Thank you so much. We've been with Dr. Elena Kraft. Thank you. You've made us all much smarter today. Thank you so much, Bernice. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in your home, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is a result of a trillion tiny acts taken by billions of people every day like yourself. And each of those tiny acts can seem insignificant, but all of them add up one way or the other 
to the change we each live through. This is your host, Bernice Butler. Thank you for listening today. And join us again next week for more in our August series on air quality and transportation. Thank you.